Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Welcome back to the 3D Parent Podcast. This is the second episode I have done where I am answering listeners' questions. And I love these episodes because I feel like I get to speak directly to you and answer the questions that are really important or really challenging for you right now in your families. I have three great questions that I will be tackling today. The first has to do with divorce and separation anxiety issues. The second is about transitioning a young child from a crib to a big kid bed. And the third question has to do with screen time. Now, I will tell you that some of these questions are huge topics that really warrant their own episode in and of themselves. And definitely screen time is one of those that I will be tackling and a lot more information and suggestions in the future. But for right now, I just wanted to answer the questions that the listener specifically was writing in about and then promise that I'll go into it much more length in the future. So the first question, this comes from a listener named Susie. I am going through a divorce and my two-year-old daughter is dealing with separation anxiety issues. How can I make the handoffs to her father easier on her? So you're absolutely right that this is such a struggle for kids. This uh, separation and transfer from one parent to another parent is very, very stressful, particularly at the young age of your child, two years old, where we would not expect a child to be able to easily transition from one parent to another parent. And so especially difficult because this is, I'm assuming, a newer situation, a newer arrangement to be co-parenting and sharing custody with your child. So focusing on how to make that separation easier and less stressful is a really great thing to be focusing on as you're kind of navigating this new territory. The first thing I want to suggest that you do is focus on bridging the separation. So bridging is a term that I'm borrowing from Dr. Gordon Neufeld, who I talk about a lot in my podcast, and it really refers to you being able to kind of bridge the period between your two points of contact from when you're about to pass off your child to where you're going to get her back on the other side. When we focus a lot on the leaving, on the separating, it feels very stressful. When we focus on the next point of contact, it gives your child something to hold on to, something to kind of focus on. Now, at our very young age, at two years, this is especially hard for her to understand and grasp because she doesn't necessarily have the words to understand things like divorce, custody, you know, and so for her, it just feels like a separation. And it is, like you said, really stressful for her. 
So due to her age, one of the most helpful things I could suggest to kind of help bridge the separation is to provide her with tangible items, things that she can actually hold on to, that she can use her senses to kind of experience and hold you close when you're separated. So this might be something like an item of clothing that uh, she associates with you, that might smell with you or smell like your perfume or your lotion that she can hold on to and keep with her when she is not with you. I might also suggest that you put together a picture book with pictures just of you alone or with the two of you together that she can have access to and look at when she is not with you. Sometimes parents fear that doing things like this might bring you to your child's mind more often and be better for them just to kind of forget out of sight, out of mind. And that is not what you want to be dealing with here. It is natural for a child to miss a parent or a strong primary attachment that they're not together with during a period of time. That's a normal feeling. And we don't want your child to be numbing from those feelings. We want her to be moving through them, experiencing them. Have these items that are going to remind her of you will help her hold on and not sense such a huge separation when she is not together with you. But it also is okay if it brings about some sad feelings and missing you. That's healthy, normal feelings and emotions for your child to be going through. So do not steer away from them. When you're getting ready to kind of pass your child off to her father, I would encourage you to draw attention to the next time you're going to be together. What will that look like? What will you be doing together? What special thing do you have planned when you get back together again after her father's custody time? Uh, what will you eat for dinner? Talk about things that she could look forward to. Again, that's going to help bridge that separation and give her something to hold on to. Point her towards the direction of looking at that next point of contact. Something else I'd like to suggest if it's not already set up is to do video chatting while you do not have your daughter in your custody. And when you are having those video chats and she can see you, she's obviously not old enough to carry on long in-depth conversations. So what could you do with that time that will feel connecting, that will feel like you can um, be together even through separation? I would suggest doing things that are playful, games like peekaboo, or if you have some puppets, go ahead and get some puppets and interact with your child so that you can be playful and have fun with them, even though you're not together in the same space. You might also consider reading favorite storybooks, um, singing songs you like to sing together, things that she associates with time together with you, or something that could be connecting experience, even though you're not together in the same space. And then lastly, when you get back together with your daughter, when she's returned to your care, when it's your custody time again, make space for what you might experience as increased frustration, tantrums, ways of acting out. This is her expressing to you that this is really hard for her. So do not punish her. Do not threaten her. Do not lose your own cool. Understand that she is expressing to you how she's feeling inside. And this is very hard for her. And so make space for that. Stay present verbalize what you're seeing from her um, emotions, and then see if possible if you can get her to feel those sad feelings, those get to those tears of sadness, and then comfort her, hug her, acknowledge that it's really hard to be separated from you. And then I also highly encourage you to share these tidbits or share this particular podcast with your child's father so that he can maybe be putting some of these things into play when he is going through his own period of separation from your daughter when she's in your custody. 
And this, of course, relates to people who have any type of separation from their child, separation just from a day at work, separation when you have to travel because of work or because you're traveling just in general, periods of separation where your child might be really stressed and experiencing some anxiety associated with that separation. All of these suggestions would be relevant to you as well, even if you're not in a situation of co-parenting, shared custody. My second question today that I'm going to discuss comes from listener Ken. We are getting ready to transition our three-year-old daughter from her crib to her big girl bed. And that was said in, in quotation marks. How do we go about this to make the transition the least stressful for her? So you're right. This transition from crib to big kid bed can be stressful, but I'm going to be honest with you. I've gone through this four times with my four children. It is far more stressful for us as parents than it is for our kids. And a lot of times just anticipating that there might be a problem or might be difficult causes so much anxiety for us as parents. The other thing I want to acknowledge about that is you might be feeling a little bit of grief, a little bit of sadness over the fact that your child is kind of growing out of another aspect of babyhood, infancy. Cribs kind of represent babies. And when your child is moving out of a crib into a bed, much like when a child is done breastfeeding or done bottle feeding, or you've decided they're done with a pacifier, all those things represent kind of like moving out of early childhood or babyhood into a little bit big kid behaviors. And so some of the feelings that you're feeling in terms of stress and anxiety might be you reacting to those feelings of a little bit of sadness. So know that that's normal. I've been through that four times and it's great that you're thinking about being very intentional with this transition because yeah, it can be pretty tough. So what do you want to do first is decide what kind of bed you're going to be choosing for your child. Now, if your child's moving from a crib, sometimes there is an option just to remove the one side and turn it into a toddler bed and lower it to the floor. And you can do that if you want. I've always skipped that. I feel like it's better to kind of move from the one space that your child is used to sleeping in the crib to a whole nother space versus just removing one side of it. So you can do that if you think you want to have this in-between step, but then just keep in mind there's going to be yet another transition on the other side when your child moves out of the crib into the big kid bed. So you might want to just avoid that step and just go straight from crib to the new bed. Same thing goes. Sometimes people wonder if they should buy a toddler-sized bed. I don't encourage you to do so. Frankly, I think that's a waste of money. If you're going to be buying a new bed or borrowing a bed or acquiring a new bed or someone's going to pass a bed on to you, I think it makes most sense to get into kind of the bed that they're going to be in for a long stretch of time versus some in-between bed and then you're going to have another transition. So I suggest going with a twin size or a queen size bed, but everything's going to work best for the space that your child is going to be sleeping in and um, skip the transition into a toddler bed. I would encourage you to involve your child in picking out the bed or at least picking out the bedding that she likes. If you have a really particular taste, you can narrow down the options and kind of give options that you're happy with versus what she might pick out and like for one minute and not the next day when that character is no longer her favorite or something like that. So let your child choose the, the bedding, the pillows, things like that. That will build excitement and buy-in in terms of this being a really good thing and something worth celebrating, which of course it is. Next, you want to, if possible, when you're figuring out where you're going to set up the bed, think through where you're going to place it in the room. If possible, I suggest you put it in the same space that the crib occupied. And also, the things that are in the crib that can go into the big kid bed, go ahead and put those in there as well. If there's any stuffies that she's been used to having in her bed, a favorite blanket, include those also in her big kid bed. That just might help the transition from one space to the other. 
I also encourage when you're thinking about where you're gonna place the bed, to place one side up against a wall if possible to create that barrier from rolling onto the floor and then to use a bed rail on the other side. Or if it's not possible to have one side against the bed, of course, put a, a bed rail on either side to prevent rolling. That's typically the main thing that you need to be concerned about in those first few months once a child is transitioned out of the crib is getting them not to fall out and get hurt onto the floor. So thinking about how you're gonna create a barrier so that won't happen. Now, as you're getting prepped for the big move, you've picked out your bedding, you picked out the bed, you know where you're gonna locate in the room, you need to figure out when this is gonna happen. I suggest picking a day when you know that you're not gonna be traveling or there's not gonna be any big changes, any you know visitors from out of town, it's not in the middle of a holiday, when you know there's gonna be some pretty consistent predictable bedtime um, routines going on for a period of weeks. I would suggest picking a weekend day when nothing out of the ordinary is going on. Picking a weekend versus school week or a work week for you so that if there are some challenges that are presented, you'll have time to kind of get acclimated and get used to it. And then talk to your child about this. I would say maybe even make a countdown chart um, and put some place where everybody can see it and have her mark off a day each day as you're getting closer to the day she's going to move into her big kid bed. Go ahead and map it out for her so she can kind of know this thing is coming and it's exciting and something worth celebrating. And then as you're talking about it, it might be fun to incorporate that in your play with your child. Maybe get some stuffed animals or a doll and kind of reenact what this might look like for their toy, their stuffed animal, their doll moving from a crib to a bed. Act through those feelings with your child so they can kind of like think through what that might feel like for her stuffy or her doll before you move her into the new bed as well. Okay, now it's the day that you're going to actually move your child to the big kid bed, the big girl bed. It's that day. So when that day comes, I think it's great to kind of divide and conquer if you have a two-parent household or if you can get a relative or a friend to take your uh, child out for the day to, what I like to do is to choose a special stuffy that is going to be now part of the new sleeping arrangement, something worth celebrating, something that's going to come into the new bed. I did this with my kids and took them... Uh, um, to a toy store to pick out a new stuffy. With a couple of my kids, I took them to the Build-A-Bear store where they could pick out a stuffy and, and build it together and go through all that excitement. And then that gets to move into their own bed with them. While your child's out of the house, that's when you're going to break down the crib and set up the new bed so that when she comes back home, she's going to see the new big girl bed in place. If you don't think it's going to be that big of a deal or there's a lot of excitement over this, you can help your, you can incorporate your child into the breaking down of the of the crib and putting together the new bed. Just keep in mind that sometimes that can be a little hard. Your child might be a little attached to the crib and seeing it being taken down and put away might be a little hard. So in those cases, having her be the house while this transition is happening can be helpful. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. Then when it gets time for when she's going to sleep the first time, if your child is still napping and at three, imagine she still is, that's when I would suggest that be the first time that she spends in the big kid bed. Knowing that there's a chance that maybe a nap may not happen that day. There may be a lot of excitement around it. That's okay because if she skips her nap time, 
chances are she'll fall asleep pretty easily at bedtime. With all my kids, I did that time frame. I kind of introduced the new bed right before nap time. And all four of my kids actually took a nap that day in their new big kid bed. And it worked out great. But I do know people and clients I've worked with in my parent coach practice who say that their kid just was too excited and did not end up uh, sleeping in their bed for that first nap. And that's okay. They can just play on their new bed and kind of just get used to the new space. If they skipped a nap, again, they'll fall asleep easier at bedtime. Then when the bedtime comes, I suggest starting the bedtime a little bit earlier than normal so you have a little bit more time to kind of get acclimated to the new space. Don't do anything too wild right before bedtime so your child has a bunch of cortisol or you know energy hormones being dumped in their bloodstream, which will make it harder for her to fall asleep. Go ahead and keep it kind of a pretty consistent, normal bedtime routine, but maybe just start a hair earlier so you have a little bit of extra time to kind of get used to the new space. And then definitely talk about this uh, new bedtime routine. What are the expectations? Hopefully this is something you've already addressed when you were kind of talking and prepping for it about staying in bed, not getting out of bed, calling if your child needs something or there's an emergency. But as much as possible, keep the bedtime routine as normal as it has been in the past, even though there's a different sleeping space. And then end with some kind of quiet snuggle time. That's one of the benefits of being in a bed versus a crib is you can actually lay down and snuggle next to your child for a minute before kind of stepping out and letting her fall asleep. What happens if it does not go as smoothly as you had hoped? Troubleshooting some problems. If your child is getting out of bed a lot in these first few days, you might want to consider adding something new to the routine, something that would keep her in her bed. Maybe you play some quiet music or a recorded story. My two younger kids, they have an Amazon Dot Kids Edition, and I sometimes let them play a story to listen to after I've gone through my bedtime routine. Um, if they're just really wound up and seem like they're having a hard time falling asleep, sleep. And we've gone through our routine. I read them my stories. We've done our snuggle time and they're still not quite ready to sleep. Sometimes I have introduced a story or a little music for them to listen to, to kind of keep them in their bed, focused on falling asleep. Another thing you might think about is allowing your child a few books that uh, she could look through, not toys. Toys will probably keep her awake too long, but if there's some books that she can look through after you've left, before she falls asleep, that might be a good idea to kind of try and keep her in her bed. If she continues to get out of bed, and this is hard, use a lot of patience. Know that a change to routine can be really hard for your kids sometimes, and it's okay to go ahead and sup her. You may need to lay down with her while she's falling asleep for that period of time. And then once she gets used to this transition after the first few weeks, you can start to slowly back away from that level of support where she doesn't require your physical presence to fall asleep. So I hope that kind of lays out some really key thoughts for making that big transition. Okay, my third question has to do with screen time. This is such a tough topic and something like I said, I will go into a lot more depth in the future, but I'll just kind of give a quick and dirty kind of reaction to the specific question that was sent in by listener Lindsay. Screen time. When should kids be able to watch TV or use an iPad? How much is too much? Should screen time be used as a reward? Video games versus TV and movies help. I feel your pain, Lindsay. This has been one of the hardest things for me to navigate. And I'm still mixing up my routine, the structures of my own household. I'm adjusting as my kids are getting older. I'm adjusting as I'm seeing problems that are arising. I'm adjusting as I am allowing new forms of screens to be consumed by my kids. Again, my kids are ages five through 15. So I'm navigating all kinds of things having to do with screen time with my children. And I also feel like it's a constant struggle that I'm always having to adjust to. There's no one perfect answer for how much 
what is the right amount or when. But here are some just kind of basics I want you to keep in mind. Again, I'll go into this in more depth in the future. It is definitely, you need to know that screen time, the media that is consumed via screens is addictive, highly addictive. It taps into the dopamine receptors in our brains and it is really, really important that we do have limits and that we enforce limits and structures for our kids. Think about how hard it is for us as adults to put down the screens, to take our attention off of our phones, to not always have this nagging thing in the back of your head to either, oh, I gotta check my email or something from work, or just to kind of veg out on uh, social media and scrolling through the Facebooks, the Instagrams of this world. It is just as hard for your child, but they don't have maturity to help them out. So we have to be the ones to kind of help set those limits for our kids and enforce them. So the question about when should they be able to watch TV or use an iPad or another screen, first and foremost, after their attachment needs have been met, you don't want to stick a screen into a child who is attachment hungry. So if you've been separated through school or work or if it's first thing in the morning and your child is waking up, you do not want the first thing for them to be attaching to be a screen. It needs to be you. It needs to be human contact. It needs to be their siblings. It needs to be human attachment. That first and foremost needs to be the focus. Otherwise, your child is going to become addicted to your screen in terms of filling the attachment needs that we all have inside us, and that causes a lot of problems. Another answer to as to when, definitely you want to allow it to happen after things that are maybe a little bit less interesting have happened. Things like homework, things like chores, things like um, music practice. So definitely cannot happen before those times. But if you just said, okay, you can have some screen time once you're done with your homework and your chores and your music practice, very likely your child's going to race through those things and not put in their best effort because they want to get to the screen. So I would say after those things are done, but also set a time period. So there's plenty of time to put in full effort on homework, chores, practice, and the things that your child needs to get done before they will have access to a screen. And then I would have a structured time frame that you set up. So there's a clear expectation, not just you're off when I tell you time is up. When you do that, then your child might, you know, take advantage of the fact you might be distracted. You might be doing things. They get very quiet and it's easy for us as parents to get addicted to them being quiet and occupied by screens. And we might forget to pull them off when it's necessary. So there needs to be some type of thing to remind you. I love setting a timer. I set a timer to remind us when that time is up and then they move on. If you're noticing that your child is really struggling at getting off the screen when they have reached that time frame, that limit that you have set, that is a huge wake-up call to you that something is up. Your child, it's fine for them to be like, okay, or like, can I do this one more thing? But if you're getting a huge tantrum following that, if you're getting complete negotiation and resistance and meltdowns every time, your child is communicating that that is too much for them. This is too hard for them. It might mean that they need less time on screens. It might mean that screen time just cannot happen on certain days of the week, like school days. It might mean that it needs to happen at a different time. But if your child is really struggling to stick with a structure that you've set up for them, that is indicating that there's a problem there and your child 
is not going to benefit from more screen time. So instead, look at that and address, okay, does my child need to have less time at a different time, not screen time on certain times, or is my child to attach their screen and I need to work on my parent-child attachment more so that they're not so sucked in by screens. You need to think about what they're consuming on their screens also. That's very important. When they're just passive consumers, just watching videos, watching TV shows, or playing a game where you're just following an algorithm, think of that almost like the way you think of candy, the way you think of a treat, the way you think of junk food. It is just that. It is not nutritive. It does not have a lot of value outside of entertainment. So it's fine to have a little bit of, you know, treats, uh, some junk food once in a while, some cookies after you've had something that's more nutritious, like some activities that actually are more beneficial to your child or time spent connecting with you or their siblings. So think of it as it is. Don't fool yourself into saying, oh gosh, you know, it's actually educational and therefore it's okay. Screen time is screen time. It's addictive and too much of it is not good for our kids' brains. When kids are using screens as a tool, that's different. So if your child wants to send an email to their grandparent, sure. If your child wants to uh, act out something, then film it and, you know, and then edit it. They're using this technology as a tool. That also is great. If they want to use technology to learn how to do something, my two little kids, they love watching videos that teach you how to draw. Now it's on YouTube. And I know that what's going to happen after that one YouTube video is over is going to send up the next one. So I have all the restrictions to make sure that the content is appropriate to my kids, but also we know ahead of time, oh, I want to um, watch a video to learn how to draw something, set a limit in terms of how long they can be on those types of videos, or yes, you can learn how to draw one item and then it's over. And then we enforce that. And if we don't reach that agreement, then we know, oh, that was too much. We can't do that next time. So think about the difference between what they're doing with the screens, if they're just being passive or if they're using it as a tool. And you might have different limits for either type of use of screens. There might be a certain time limit having to do with the passive consumer style of use of screens and there might be no limit or longer period of time you'll allow when technology is used as a tool. The other part of the question that Lindsay asked was about whether or not screen time should be used as a reward or I'll throw in as a punishment. Oftentimes we'll threaten that. I would encourage you not to do so. If you do that, you're basically just throwing more attention on something that's already really hard for kids to um, manage. You're adding a whole nother level of emotion to it in terms of it being used as reward and punishment. Instead, like I said, use it as something that structured, oh, yes, we can have some screen time once these things have been done. So in a way, they have to wait for it. It's not something they can just have whenever they want it. But it's not like, if you do these things, I will reward you with some screen time. I discourage you from using any type of reward system in general, but especially not with screen times. And then, of course, Lindsay didn't ask this, but there's the question of what about when we're on vacations? What about when we're traveling? Those are the times when you can come up with a different plan, a different structure. But if in your day-to-day -day life at home, you kind of have more thought and structure when it comes to how your children are having their screens, it's going to really help them navigate something that's really hard to do so and without your support. So thanks so much to my three listeners who submitted questions. If you have questions that you'd like to have answered on the 3D Parent Podcast, I highly encourage you to send them in to me. You can find a contact form on the 3D Parent website, the3dparent.com, and submit your questions for me to answer on a future podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. 
I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the3dparent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D Parent Podcast.